hi um welcome back um to anybody who's listening to this and you know today i think i'm gonna bounce through a couple topics um firstly i kind of want to discuss my personal relationship with politics and um you know i think throughout my life i really have changed my views a lot not only Uh, in a political sense, but also just in a general sense. I've definitely um, experienced a lot of personal growth, even only at the age of 16, going on 17 very soon. (laughs) But, um, you know, I just think it's a really interesting kind of history because growing up in an Asian American family, specifically an Indian American family, um, we... Uh, and, and I think it's important to note that my parents are huge Hindu nationalists. Um, uh, I can maybe do another episode on Indian politics sometime soon. It's actually really interesting. But um, essentially, they align with the Trump of India. But like in American politics perspective, they would probably be more moderate you know but um i personally right now in this moment i would identify more as a leftist progressive uh type person um but that definitely has been like more of a recent change like if you asked me just a couple months ago i would have said some bs like oh you know i'm very socially liberal but economically conservative and for fiscally conservative and for me this meant like oh i don't like socialism um love capitalism but also i um you know think women should be able to have abortions or whatever like something like that but i think it's important to note that um there's a fine line between the leftist policies which essentially emphasize that every person should have a right to health care and that politics shouldn't be funded by huge corporations and billionaires shouldn't fundamentally exist which honestly i would agree with in this moment but um i guess i just didn't realize like the difference between being pro-capitalist and also being a democratic socialist, there is kind of a distinction there. The sense that democratic socialists do believe that capitalism is fundamentally probably the best system, but also, um, you know, there does have to be a good amount of regulation, especially in industries like medicine and, um, you know, corporations are just fundamentally greedy because they aren't exactly reflective of people, you know, um, in the sense that what's the goal of a corporation is just to make money, and I think people are a little bit more complex than that, um, so it can get a little muddy in that sense, but anyway, um, you know, before that, I lived, before living in Washington, I actually lived in Ohio, and, um, I lived in a, I lived in Cincinnati, Ohio, which itself is actually a pretty liberal city. Um, it's actually fourth highest in child poverty rates and, um, you know, probably not, I mean, it, it, it's very, um, it's like rust bucket type city, but it's also extremely liberal. Um, anyway, I lived in kind of a pocket of Cincinnati that was very 
old money type of people and therefore very pro Trump um <laughs> very Republican type families there and you know, when kids came to my school wearing, like, MAGA hats and Trump socks and all of this stuff, I really thought it was a joke. Like, I thought it was absolutely hilarious that people would even, you know, consider supporting a president like this. Um, but, you know, considering the kinds of things that were said to me and to other people in our school, I really am not that surprised that they were not kidding at all whatsoever. Um, j just for example, I was often referred to as curry ball or uh, pretzel to imply that I was brown on the inside and white, or sorry, brown on the outside and white on the inside. <laughs> um, it was quite an interesting time at that school, but, you know, when you're around those kinds of people, especially in middle school, all you want to do is fit in. So I definitely, um, well, I, I didn't really express any interest in politics because, um, you know, it just never was something that I really wanted to argue about with those people or talk about with those people because I knew my beliefs were different and, um, therefore I just kind of avoided the subject altogether uh, until quite recently, actually. And also, um... I just wanted to fit in, didn't want to stand out, so I feel like I adopted a lot of those similar views as well. Um, you know, even when I did disagree, I didn't speak up and I pretended to agree, which was quite a failure on my part, honestly, because these kids really, really needed some education in history because um, just the ignorance was just off the charts ridiculous and I think it is in a lot of um very southern and occasionally midwest states as well so anyway regardless I you know uh, up until even recently like I would say probably my sophomore year of high school I'm a rising senior now I I, I would I I think I probably identified as a Republican or um, a moderate of sorts. Um, I definitely did not support Trump and never supported Trump. However, I didn't really understand um, the repercussions of some of the terrible economic policies that not only Republicans, but also moderate Democrats are imposing on our country. Um, and by that, I mean socialism does exist in our country. It exists, but it exists for big businesses and huge corporations who do not have our best interests at heart. Um, I can point to things like, even recently, a lot of the coronavirus um, stimulus checks and um, funding from the government actually went to huge chains and giant corporations, um, which I would argue was to the detriment of a lot of working class Americans, um, especially considering that before the pandemic, I'm pretty sure a study came out that said um, 
a very high percent, a concerningly high percentage of Americans were only five hundred or $500 away from the poverty line, which is scary because a lot of those same working class Americans have probably lost their jobs. Um, with the unemployment numbers that we are seeing, it's pretty likely. So it just doesn't really make any sense to me why we are willing to bail out these large corporations and then also um, when any kind of bill is put into Congress that would give the same kind of um, luxuries to normal working Americans, we call it socialism, we call it communism, we... um, I just don't understand how that makes any sense. How we, as a country, say that we we condemn socialism, we condemn communism, we don't want any of that stuff, um, and we point to Venezuela and we talk about how it's failed and how it's bad and all of this, but then we're still willing to uh, use those same policies to bail out our huge banks and huge corporations that um, have a terrible impact on the environment and also... um, abuse those same working class Americans that we are just not willing to pay fair wages to. And I just don't understand it, especially in the middle of a pandemic like this, where people are really, really, really struggling to not only find work, but just to make, uh, just to pay their bills. Um, Unemployment is at like 15%. So I really, uh, especially in the last couple months when I've been doing more research on this, I've kind of uh, come to understand the flaw in my personal beliefs. I don't think you can be socially liberal and be fiscally conservatives because cause that's basically saying, you know, I understand the suffering of people in America who perhaps, not minorities, but just everything, um, I understand their suffering, but I'm not willing to do anything about it because, frankly, Economics is a really, really, really huge part of it. Um, It's a fact that communities that, on average, have a lower income have higher crime a lot of the time. Um, And it's unsurprising that a lot of these communities are African American and Hispanic, especially when we consider things like the school-to-prison pipeline, Um, and just lack of basic funding and resources and these same people are the ones who are not getting these stimulus checks because we argue that it's communism that it's socialism in the meantime we're paying billions and billions and billions of dollars to corporations and giant banks (laughs) I just do people not understand that that money goes straight into those the board of directors, the shareholders, the CEO? It goes right into their pockets. I mean, I'm sure they invest some of it into the company, definitely. But just like basic economic theory, literally Google, um, it's just like a video on YouTube, like five minutes take your time to just understand basic economics and you will realize that it's much more effective to give money directly to people rather than give them to corporations like i just don't it's really infuriating because i feel like we could be in a lot better of an economic position had we just handled the whole thing better regardless um i think 
part of this is also being from an Asian American household. You know, um, there's this huge model minority myth, which I honestly have a really big problem with because I think it pits minorities against each other. Like, we, we're not even the minority, honestly. If we all wanted to get together, like, we could, we could do amazing things. But, um, regardless, I think that, um, you know, being in an Asian American household, you're kind of taught that hard work and drive and passion and you can do whatever you want, you know, because you're around very affluent people, even though technically they are minorities and you assume that they face a lot of the same discriminatory practices and systemic racism that other minorities face as well, but it's really important to acknowledge that Asian Americans don't have, you know, 400 years of um, slavery, Jim Crow, black codes, segregation, redlining, all of this. <laughs> we don't have that. I mean, um, and a lot of Asian American, oh, actually, I would say most Asian American immigrants came from already affluent, educated families because, you know, visas are kind of prioritized at that demographic, or um, they definitely were when uh, Asian American immigration or oh, oh, way more happened in like the 1990s so you know I guess I just had this assumption that pff, a very racist assumption but to put it very simply I kind of thought like they must just not be working hard enough because we're fine and we're minorities um, so I don't understand why they get extra you know, why why they get more, why they get extra, because we're working just as hard as them, and I think also uh, applying to college was a part of this, because, you know, (laughs) especially Asian American households, affirmative action is something that's extremely unpopular, because, um, you know, you think that you're gonna lose your seat to a African American, because, or, or just a, you know, historically underrepresented group, um, because you're Asian, like, I, I've had so many people tell me, like, don't check the box, don't tell them what race you are, if it's optional, because it will hurt your chances, and I think that's just, I think that shows some of the problem with the system, because, um, you know, this is something that I like to say a lot, actually, I don't think Americans even know American history. Like, yeah, we all know George Washington, we all know Thomas Jefferson, blah blah blah, but like, most people didn't even know about Alexander Hamilton until the musical came out, which is amazing, by the way, the musical is amazing. But anyway, um, you know, it just seems like people don't understand the history of redlining, which, you know, strategically put African Americans together in underfunded communities and um, essentially stop them from buying nice houses or any kind of nice property um, in affluent neighborhoods, which really uh, set them back because, you know, um, the neighborhood that you live in is immensely immensely important, especially in the U.S., because um, that determines what school you get to go to and that determines what kind of education you get that determines what kind of college you go to and that determines what kind of career you have so um 
you know, for centuries we strategically put African American or um, just any other African Americans and Hispanics at economic disadvantages, but especially African Americans. Um, you know, we also had a policy of black codes. Um, and there was a history of sharecropping. So after slavery ended, first of all, black people were controlled by black codes, which stopped them from doing and having a lot of the basic rights, um, like voting, which is still something that is in violation to this day. Um, thank you, Mitch McConnell. And uh, sharecropping was essentially a very similar, um, very similar to slavery. It was a lot like surfism if anybody or surf well whatever um if anybody knows what that is but basically it's just the idea that um you're kind of tied to the land and um so you get a little portion of the person's land and you can farm on it but then you have to give them part of the crop and then also you have to pay them for your basic necessities because you live on their land um, and then often they'd scam people and um, just it was a way to put um, them in debt so they essentially would have to stay and work on the land to repay the debt forever <laughs> and it was just a, you know glor glorified slavery pretty much although you did get you know paid a little Hardly, I don't, I don't even know if I'd consider it being paid. But anyway, that's just a quick little history lesson for you. It's just really ridiculous the amount of economic suppression that has gone on in this country. Um, economic suppression, voter suppression. It seems like systemic racism is really like at the heart of. America, which is sad to say, but, you know, ever since the founding of this country, when we said all men are created equal, first of all, we left out women, and second of all, we pretty much um, contradicted those ideals the second we wrote them. So, you know, I, I just think that's something that's really important to acknowledge, because a lot of times in this country, we, like, glorify our history, um, and I think that contributed to my political views a lot the idea that you know how could we want to change a country that was formed on ideals that were so perfect and so amazing and so revolutionary and just so wonderful and you know it brought freedom liberty and equality to everybody um so why would we want to change it and why do these people want more like we all live in this country we all have the same rights um, why do you deserve extra? Why do you deserve reparations? Why do you deserve affirmative action? <laughs> and I think I just had a really fundamental misunderstanding with the suffering that has happened in these communities because of the, the frankly racist history of this country. I think that word is thrown around too much, but, um, I just think that it's really impossible to be fiscally conservative, knowing the economic suppression that we have placed upon um, uh, African Americans, especially, and specifically. So, I, it's just, I think it was hard for me to grapple with at first, just because, you know, again, 
that fundamental belief that is ingrained in you from the minute you learn about American history, or the minute you step into America, honestly, that this is the country of promise, this is the country of opportunity, this is the country of freedom, the country where if you work hard enough, you can get anywhere. If you work hard enough, you can be Jeff Bezos, you can be Bill Gates, you can be Mark Zuckerberg, you just have to work hard. You know, work your ass off and just opportunities will come to you. And it's that easy and there's no barriers, there's no, there's nothing stopping you except hard work. And I just think that's not true at all and people really need to start understanding that um, we have systematically put certain people at just such great disadvantages. Um, You know, again, what I was talking about where um, they're placed in underprivileged communities or they were systematically placed in underprivileged communities in the 20th century and that gives them access to less resources, worse school, um, and you know those problems still continue today and don't, I mean, I could do probably 10 episodes on mass incarceration and the um, school to prison pipeline which is especially evident for african-american students i mean just this week i read a story of a girl who um you know during corona she was unable to do her schoolwork for whatever reason um which you know is, is kind of understandable and to be honest with you i definitely sucked up as well i mean i did maybe half of the work i was doing during normal school but anyway um and she was arrested and like sent to jail um for not doing work. Um, I'm sorry, I did like two English assignments um, in in whatever, like the four month period, whatever it was. I did two English assignments. Um, The only reason that I didn't fail that class was because we were going off um, a system where we couldn't go under the grade that we had previously before quarantine. So I really didn't have to do that much work, but I just think that's frankly ridiculous. I mean, my (laughs) <laughs> to be honest, like, my brothers did, like, hardly any of their work, and the teachers just sent emails to my parents. There was no cops involved. Nobody went to jail. You know, I, I just think that's ridiculous, um, and, and I think there's a bunch of other things that I can mention here, like, for example, black students are way more likely to get, uh, discipline in schools in general, way more likely to get it, expelled, suspended, um, any kind of repercussions for way less serious um, things a lot of the time. Um, In addition to that, they are more likely to experience police brutality in general, which is one of the major conversations we're having in this country. But um, back to my point about fiscal conservatism. It's just... When you can acknowledge and you agree with the fact that people in America are not treated equally, there's unequal treatment for certain groups of people, and this is not just stereotypes, not just, um, you know, microaggressions and all of that, which pretty much everyone has to deal with at some point, but in addition to that, it's systematic 
laws and oppression, voter suppression, economic suppression, um, the fact that African-American-sounding names are way less likely to get chosen for job interviews um, and have lower salaries on average, which is just ridiculous. But anyway, um, if you can acknowledge that, um, and I honestly don't understand why you wouldn't because there's so much data supporting those statements. That's not just my opinion. I mean, um, please just look at the statistics. Like, it's really that simple. But anyways, I don't understand why you wouldn't want to act on it and help that group that has been disadvantaged for pretty much all of American history and and to this day so um, I don't know I just think it was kind of an interesting thing for me to grapple at uh, grapple with and um, I I think probably the the biggest change in my thinking was my AP American history class that I took um, my junior year or this past year which I think really opened my eyes to a lot of the contradictions about American history and just in general, you know. Um, and I think it really sparked, like, an inherent curiosity in me. Um, and I really began to ask the question, how and and why? And uh, how, how does this still affect us today? And... Um, and I think it, it became really evident this year, especially um, with the protests after the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and, and just so, so many other people. Um, and, and I think um, Hamilton says it beautifully. If, if you don't stand for something, what do you fall for? And... I just think that um, the first step to that, to, to, to standing up for something, is, is empathy. Um, and I think with empathy comes a huge shift in maybe not even your political views, but just like your, your life view in general. And I, I definitely think that I find that with myself where... Um, after I learned about the tra uh, tragedies that have happened in our history, I became curious about um, how the repercussions of those tragedies have played out in our current um, country, and uh, it's quite evident that they definitely have, and it's definitely been quite catastrophic. And then with that... Um, I began to understand that it's all transsectional, you know? Um, for example, you can't just stand up for LGBTQ rights and then not also stand for African American rights. And you can't stand up for Asian American rights and not stand up for Native American and African American environmental justice. It's all transsectional. Um, you know, it's not about a Democrat or Republican or whatnot. It's about standing for human rights, standing for the future, and I really think it's that simple. You know, um, 
And economic justice is such a big part of it because the fact is, um, especially minorities in this country, have um, had their voices suppressed and silenced for so long. And economic suppression is a huge part of that because it's been used as as a way to suppress these voices just like um black codes just like segregation just like voter suppression just like um the mass incarceration that we're seeing now just like the war on drugs that is what we continue to do in this country um and and frankly i'm just so sick of it <laughs> so um especially the more that you learn about um, where the root of a lot of these debates come on. Like, why do we debate the fact that we should be trying to save the earth? Why do we debate the fact that black lives matter? Because black lives matter. That does not, oh my god, for god's sakes, that does not mean that all lives don't matter. It's just, oh, mm, like, uh, where and how do these things become debates a lot of the reason behind that is extremely sinister um and, and a lot of it does come back to economics and and money and power um and the fact that you can pretty much buy the american political system if you have enough money and that's exactly what exxon mobile did and they convinced um pretty much half of the population that climate change isn't real and it's a hoax and it's not oh Anyways, um, it's just really clear to me now that um, a lot of the socialist ideals that, you know, we call crazy and we call socialism, communism, and assign um, all these names to, you know, in the media, they're really not that radical, you know? It's just the idea that everyone should have equal access to healthcare. Nobody should have to die because they can't afford a doctor. And especially in America, this is a huge problem because our prices are so jacked up. Um, and, you know, it's just a really fundamental idea that nobody should have to starve. We're, we're all human at the end of the day, you know? And I think especially because of this country's history with um suppression especially to minorities isn't it imperative that we try to reverse the damage that we've done um but here's where i kind of get conflicted because i don't 100 percent believe in you know uh like free handouts and and and, and such but um i think it's also important to consider that um, it's just way harder for certain groups of people to get the same opportunities because of the color of their skin, because of their name, because of, um, you know, a variety of different factors, their socioeconomic status. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of the colleges in this country are not need blind, meaning that they do consider whether you can pay for college or not. And they, um, usually prefer the rich kids who they know can pay, who they know can afford it, and I mean, in addition to that, alumni, and there's lots of other problems with uh, college admissions, I think, but anyway, 
that is all to say, um, I just wanted to kind of share a little bit about my journey and thought process in, you know, changing my political beliefs because I think that's something that's really hard to do and also it's kind of been a while since I recorded a podcast, um, you know, so I thought this might be like a little bit of an easier, chill one (laughs) to record um, because I'm pretty much just talking about myself, which I love doing. Um, anyway, thank you so much for listening, and, um, yeah, adios. (laughs)